Hi everybody, I'm John Torrance. Welcome to our podcast channel. I know that you will be blessed by today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Uh, we're going to read one scripture. And I don't know about you, but I've really been burdened about our land, our country. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says, If my people who are called by my name, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. I've entitled my message this morning, Heal Our Land. Heal Our Land. Heal Our Land. Would you lift your hands and say, Father, I want to thank you for healing our land. Our land needs healing. And I thank you today that as we have prayed and fasted, that you will heal our land in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I know that the church has a definite role to play, not just in our country, but in the whole wide world. And churches are important. I'm a church person. I was raised up to believe in the local church, but I want you to understand that there's something a little bit bigger than the church that is called the kingdom of God. It's called the kingdom of God. And if all we do is talk about the church, the church, and in our vocabulary, we don't have the kingdom of God, and I think that we are kind of missing the plot somehow. Because if we just stay with the church concept, then it becomes all about my church and your church and this church and that church. And then as the church, we are all individualized and compartmentalized. And we fail to see that it's going to take all the churches coming together, all the churches in KZN, all the churches in the Gauteng area, all the churches coming together and together making a difference and establishing the kingdom of God on earth. Can I get an amen? You see, it takes the maturity and insight of God to see that Durban Christian Center, for example, on its own, is, is not going to be able to exert the influence and do what it is that God wants to do in these times that we're living in. Just our church on its own. I think about the vision that Dr. Fred had many, many years ago where he was standing by the seashore pulling in this huge net that was full of fishes. And he was trying to pull it on his own but couldn't. And the angel of the Lord standing next to him said, what you're trying to do, you will not do on your own. Won't you, we won't do it on our own. We, not, not, there, not one church will, bring, will be able to bring in the mighty harvest that God has 
I don't like to use the word last days because we've been living in the last days ever since Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost. So we are in the last days. We've been in the last days. No, we're in the last of the last of the last of the last. I don't care, and that doesn't worry me. In these days and age, if, if what we are going to do and what God wants to do, we have to come together as the church. Can I get an amen? If you read Paul's epistles very clearly, you will see that you, you, you will actually see the emphasis that the Lord places on the city church. on this, Because God is into cities. Not that He's not into towns and villages and all of that. But, he, but there is such a concept as the city church. And all the time when you read the Bible, and especially Paul's epistles, he, he makes reference to the city churches as the church singular. So you'll see him talking about the church of Ephesus. You'll see him talking about the church of Smyrna, the church of Laodicea, the church of Pergamos, the church of Sardis. You'll see him talking about the church that was at Corinth, the church that was at Thessalonica. It's important to realize that many other churches had sprung up because back in those days, it was difficult to get buildings. So they would go from house to house or they would congregate in somebody's house and another church would spring up there and another church. All these churches with differing pastors, but yet when they were addressed, when they were seen, they were referred to as the church. And I can tell you for a fact that they were not denominational churches that had Jerusalem as the HQ or Jerusalem as the mother church, though it was that Jerusalem had reproduced these churches, they, they were not centralized by Jerusalem and Jerusalem was not their HQ. How many of you can hear what I'm saying? And all of these churches were locally governed, were autonomous, and they reproduced themselves accordingly. And they all had their own pastors, and yet they were viewed as one church. And there was a unity of the Spirit by the Spirit. Can I say that one more time? There was a unity of the Spirit by the Spirit because one church can influence and turn a city and a nation. And God can through one church that is expressed as the kingdom of God, He can heal our land. Hallelujah. Can I get an amen? I do believe that one of the greatest sins that is prevalent in the church is the sin of segregation. It's the sin of division, disunity, discord amongst pastors and churches. We don't need the devil I think there's a lot of pastors and churches that are doing a great job at sowing discord and division and disunity and on and on and on. They're doing a good job of it. I remember several years ago, Pastor Dan, I don't know if you remember. In fact, it could have been about 10, 12 years. We, were, we wanted to do an outreach just outside, just not far from here, not far from here. And we were going to pitch a tent and have like a healing crusade and feed people and we said, let's go into that area. There was a certain church in that area. And we said, let's go into that area. We're not even interested if people get saved to bring them to our church. We'll happily give them to the church that's there already in that area. That was our heart. 
And so Pastor Danny went to that so-called church and he introduced himself and explained what we were doing. And the pastor said, no, he's not interested in that. And then he said, oh, by the way, aren't you, aren't you part of that white church? Aren't you part of that white church? What are you doing at that church? Can you imagine a pastor? I know everybody's like really shocked in this place. But that's what came out of his mouth. Talking about division and segregation based on a color. You're supposed to be born again, man. You are a pastor. When you get to heaven, I can tell you there's not gonna be a whole lot of African people in that corner and a whole lot of colored folk in that corner and a whole lot of Indian folk in that corner. We're all, there's gonna be no color. We're not gonna see color. We are not going to see color. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. No wonder the world laughs at us. No wonder the devil thinks that we're a joke. Just this other week, I wasn't going to say this, but I think I am. I think I am. Just this other week, I'm telling you this because it's time for the church to put on its big boy pants. It's time for the pastors and the churches to put on their big boy pants. But just this other week, there was a conference right here in Durban, big church, and every night they had certain guest speakers. And the one night, I was told this, I didn't go to the conference, but they came back to me and said, Pastor, we wanted to just let you know what was said from the pulpit. A pastor that was invited to this church to minister on a particular night. And he's talking and then he makes reference of this church. And instead of saying the Jesus dome, he says Jesus doom. And then he, and then people thought, maybe he's got the word wrong. And then he repeated it again. But he was trying to make a joke about our church. I think I've met this pastor once. And I'm thinking, you're, you're at another church and you're using the pulpit. He also derailed and disdained other ministers in our town. And if I tell you that this pastor who was doing that once upon a time was the pastor of quite a large church in our city, Durban, and then had an affair and was booted from out of that church, I'm thinking, what are you even doing up on the platform? Why don't you just get on with preaching the gospel, getting people saved, Casting out devils, first of all, cast out the devil out of yourself. Hallelujah. I met the guy only once. I hardly know the guy. I've done nothing to him. Making a joke about the church, about God's bride, about what God purchased with his blood. Come on, God help us, man. No wonder our land is broken. No wonder there is chaos and disorder and corruption and moral decline. No wonder we have people who got saved and then they came, they heard about this and they saw how some pastors are conducting themselves and ran back straight to their idols, back to their God and said, you can have your God. If that is what Christianity is all about, no thank you, I'm better off serving my God. What a disgrace. Hallelujah. It's a bit quiet in this Dutch Reformed Church this morning. 
Can you say amen? You see, God promises that if we as the people of God who are called by His name will humble ourselves and pray and seek His face and turn from our, our wicked ways, then God says, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive your sins and I will heal your land. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and say, God, heal our land. And let me tell you, our land needs healing. If you look at the statistics, according to the World Bank 2020, South Africa is ranked as the number one country for unemployment. The number one country with unemployment. According to Wise Vota, South Africa is the sixth most violent country in the world with regards to murder. According to the World Population Review, South Africa is ranked as the country with the third highest amount of rape in the world. In 2010, South Africa was top of the pops. It was the, the country with the most rape cases per population size in the world. And that's just from what has been reported. What about all the other stuff that has not been reported? We can talk about the corruption, the greed, the wickedness, the poverty, the abuse. And I'm not here to criticize and undermine and point out the flaws of this country. It would take all day. And let me tell you, it's not just this country. It's all over the world. I'm here to remind you that we are, all of us, a member of His body. And even though we are expressed locally in our various churches, we ought to be one church. Hallelujah. One church. Jesus, when He comes back, is coming back for one church. Not all individual compartmentalized churches. He's not coming back for the full gospel church and the Assemblies of God church and the Durban Christian Center church and CFC church and CRC church and whatever name your church is. He's coming back for His bride that is His body that is composed of many members, yet we are one body. Hallelujah. And at the same time, we have people in our midst in, the, in this very country that purposely want to sabotage our country and cripple its potential. And when they do that, they are crippling the futures of our children and our children's children and our children's children's children. And instead of building it up and doing it better and in, improving the quality of life, all they are busy doing is tearing it down. But I'm here to tell you this morning, church, the good news is that God is still large and in charge. Would you look at somebody and tell them, my God is still large and in charge. Say it like you have a bit of faith. I know I've given you a bit of negative news, but say it like you believe it. Our God, our God is still large and in charge. Hallelujah. Look at three people and tell them the God that I serve, the God that I serve is still large and in charge. Hallelujah. Psalm 47 verse 8 says, God reigns over the nations. He is reigning over our city. He's reigning over your city, your town, your village. He is reigning over South Africa. God sits on the holy throne, on His holy throne. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and say, my God, my God is still large and in charge. 
and is still seated on His throne. Hallelujah. And from that throne, He rules and reigns. And I want to tell you that our God, your God, my God, is just as much interested in the affairs of heaven as He is in the affairs on this earth. Hallelujah. Throughout the Bible, you will notice that whenever the enemy attempted to thwart the plans and purposes of God, God would simply do three things. He would expose those people or that person. He would remove them and he would replace them. Hallelujah. Come on, family. It's time that we take authority. It's time that that these folks right now that are crippling this country, that have all wicked intentions for us. This is your country. Whose country is it? Whose country is it? Huh? It's your country. You could have been in any city, but God put you in this city because it's your city. Hallelujah. And God needs to expose, He needs to remove, and He needs to replace. And when He replaces, He replaces them in the Bible with men and women that carry the heart of God, that carry the plans and purposes of God, that are not not ashamed, are not ashamed to do things the right way, a holy way, a righteous way. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Can you say amen? You look at the Bible, you see this was the case with Joseph. You see, this was the case with Daniel. Esther is a good example, and even David. And I love the story of Esther. It's quite an interesting story because in 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar came into Jerusalem and made war with the Israelites and basically took them all captive to the land of Babylon. And that's because Israel were basically in and out of a relationship with God. When you read the Old Testament, one thing that stands true and stands, it's repeated, is the inconsistency of Israel. Inconsistency. They're getting it right, and then they start to follow after pagans. There's intermarriage. They forget about God. They forget about the blessings, and they backslide, and God has to go and rescue them. And just to make that real, sometimes He gets them to be carried away into captivity. And such is the case in 605 BC. Nebuchadnezzar marches into Jerusalem, and wages war over them. They are taken hostage, carried into the land of Babylon where they are now in a foreign city serving a foreign king and such is the case, all right? And um, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was the great Babylonian empire king. But then several years after, the Cyrus who was the leader of the Medo-Persian Empire, overthrows the Babylonian Empire and establishes himself as the ruler. And about 536 BC, what he does, after two years of his coming into rulership, he gives permission for all the people of Israel who were in Babylon to go back to their homeland in Jerusalem. And sadly, only 42,000 decided they would go back to the homeland where they would rebuild the temple and they would do the sacrifices and they would come back to God. Only 42,000, while the most part carried on staying in Babylon. 
And history tells us they stayed in Babylon because they prospered. They had become carnal and materialistic and they'd basically forgotten about God and forgotten about the plans and purposes that God had for them as the people of God. And so when Cyrus dies, there's other kings that come into play. And then we see Darius comes. And Darius has a son, and his name is Ahasuerus. And he is now the king when we get to the story of Esther. It's quite an interesting story when you read Esther. If you've got some time, it's only 10 chapters. It's a really a, a, a good story. And you see here that the king, King Ahasuerus, is having a banquet and He's showing off his, his wealth and his prosperity. And several days into the banquet, he says, you know what? I think it's a good idea. Bring in my queen. Let Queen Vashti comes in. And I don't know if she was having a bad day or maybe a bad hair day. I don't know. But she says, you know what? Tell the king I'm not coming. And of course, everybody says, whoa, this is not good. King, you, you, you can't let a woman do that to you. You have to show who's the boss. She might be the big boss, but you have to be the boss. And so anyways, to cut a long story short, they, they, they say, okay, let a whole lot of concubines come now. And, and, and the queen, you know, you stay where you need to stay, but now we're going to just allow concubines. And part of these concubine women was a woman by the name of Esther, whose real Jewish name was Hadassah. And her uncle was Mordecai, or actually her cousin, Mordecai's Uncle, this was the daughter of the uncle. So Mordecai and Esther were cousins and her parents were killed. And so Mordecai basically takes this woman, Esther, her cousin, and raises her up. But she's part of that entourage. And all these concubines come. And then when Esther comes, the Bible says, man, she found favor in the king's eyes. And she was given the best of the best. She found favor in the king's eyes. Meantime, Mordecai is outside the court and then he hears two of the king's eunuchs plotting to come against the king. They want to kill the king and he overhears the story. He tells Esther. Esther tells the king and lo and behold, it's found to be true and those true eunuchs are killed. Mordecai is just lingering around there. People know that he's a Jew. He's not, he's a foreigner living in this land. And then the Bible says that Haman comes along the scene of time and he is promoted. He is basically second in charge, but he was a wicked man. He was part of the tribe of the Amalekites, part of the Agagites, part of the Amalekites who were always at enmity with the people of God. And Haman comes in and everybody, because of what the king did, for Haman and promoted him and gave him prestige and gave him all kinds of stuff. Everybody's bowing. When they see Haman, they bow, but not Mordecai. And this freaks Haman out. He's not too happy. I mean, he, would, he wants to kill this man, but he says, you know what? I'm not going to touch this man. I'm not going to only kill this man. I'm going to wipe out his entire people. That's the wickedness of Haman. I'm going to wipe out 
this entire race. I'm going to wipe out God's people. When I wipe out God's people, I'm going to wipe out God's plans and God's purposes. There's not going to be any church. There's not going to be any kingdom. There's not going to be any righteousness. There's not going to be the name of Jesus. There's not going to be praying for the sick. There's not going to be the prophetic. I'm going to wipe out the church. That's how it would be in today's terms. And we've had a lot of Hamans all over the world that are trying desperately to silence the church, cripple the church, Wipe out the church. We don't want to hear the church. We don't want to hear about Jesus. We don't want to hear about the blood. We don't want to hear about the fact that it's a man and a woman that come together and that constitutes holy matrimony. We don't want to hear about that anymore. All over the world, there are Hamans that, ha that are at enmity with God, bringing about the works of wickedness. Come on, church, and it's time for you and I to execute God's judgments on the Hamans of our day and age. Hallelujah. It's time for us to say, God, you need to expose the Hamans that are right now in Durban, in South Africa, whoever they are. You need to remove them, and you need to replace them with godly men and women that carry your heart, carry your vision, carry the kingdom of God. Hallelujah. So Haman figures, I'm not just going to take you out, Mordecai. I'm going to take you and your people. I'm going to kill the church once and for all. So the Bible says he uh, goes back to his home and his wife and his friends are talking. They're plotting and scheming. And they build a gallow. And he says at the right time, this is the very gallow that I'm going to use to hang Mordecai and I'm going to destroy every person of God. And so he talks to the king. He says, listen, I want you to know, king, living amongst us are these strange people. They clap their hands. They shout hallelujah. They prophesy. They dance. They seem to have a joy even though when they're going through difficult times. In fact, the more, the more adverse the situation, the more victorious they seem to arise. There's a peculiar bunch of people that are amongst us and they are governed by their own laws. Not to say that we come against the laws of our life, but I want to tell you, we are under the law of heaven. We are under the government of heaven. Hallelujah. He says, would you give me permission to wipe them out? And the king says, hey, you're in charge. Just do it. So he's, the decrees go out. I mean, it, it, it's like, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. Passed at the high court of all courts. And Mordecai gets to hear this. And he puts on sackcloth and he begins to wail and weep for the church for the people of God, for the plans and purposes of God. And he positions himself outside the king's gate, which he's not supposed to do. And Esther gets to hear about it. She sends him clothes and says, you need to dress appropriately. He says, I will not. And she says, what is it that's troubling you? And she, he tells her of the story. And she says, okay, I hear what you're saying. And he says to her, listen, if you remain silent, okay. You can act like a secret Christian. 
You can go into stealth mode and be embarrassed about Jesus. But I can tell you, God is not finished with His church. And if you're not going to rise up and take your place, God is going to raise up somebody else in your place to do what you're supposed to do. He says, how do we not know if you have come into the kingdom for such a time as this? You are where you are for such a time as this. Hallelujah. Come on, look at somebody and tell them you are where you are right now for such a time as this. If there's ever been a more prominent, urgent time, it's now, now, people of God, to rise up and take your place as the believer in the authority and boldness that God has given you and I. And she says, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step up to the mark. I'm going to do it. She said, but the only thing is that I can't just go to the king. Because if you go to the king and he's not ready for you and hasn't shown you his scepter, you can die. We haven't got to that place where we, where we could die for the sake of Jesus. But I believe it's coming. Well, I thought COVID was that. COVID was like child's play, man. COVID was like child's play when it comes to, are you really going to stand up the persecution are you really going to stay? It could mean your imprisonment. It could mean your, being, your head being chopped off. Very quiet in this place right now. We just, everybody's just backing away. Just back away. Just back away. No, we don't need to back away. For to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord anyways. 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 She says, you know what? I'm going to tell everybody to pray and fast. And the Bible says on the third day, by faith, she stands in the inner court. By faith. I don't know what's going to happen. The king could execute me. By faith. And the king happens to see her. Man, she's dressed to kill. And he sets eyes upon her. And you see, when you're in the right place in the right time, Listen, everything is orchestrated by God. It's not about your might, your power. It's by the Holy Ghost. If you are in the flow, in the flow will give you the utterance. In the flow will give you what you need to do. In the flow, you'll have the mind of Christ. When you're in the flow, the strategy will come. The plan will come. The favor will come. But Bill Abraham said, neighbor, you better get in the flow. Come on. She got ready. The king set his eyes upon her. Man, he kind of just like saw this beautiful woman again and he stretches out his scepter. And he says to her, what do you wish? Tell me, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. There's no telling what God will do if we just step up to the plate. I said, there's no telling. Don't minimize yourself. Don't diminish yourself. Don't devalue yourself. It's not you anyway. It's God on the inside of you. He says, what do you want? I want this. I want there to be a banquet, king. And can we go ahead and invite Haman? I'd like to invite. Good idea. Brilliant idea. After all, he's my second in charge. A wonderful man. Meantime, he was as wicked and as rotten. And so the Bible says that night the king could not sleep. Can't sleep. Anybody ever been in that place when God's busy? You're wrestling with God? 
gets up in the middle of the night. He calls for the books where it's been chronicled. It's chronicled about some of the past events. And there he reads about Mordecai and how it was Mordecai that had saved his life from the two eunuchs. And he said, gosh, has anything been done for this Mordecai? Anything been done? I said, no, sir, nothing's been done. Well, we need to do something. What would we need to do? As he's talking about this, because now it's morning time, they see Haman coming. He said, you know what? I'm going to ask Haman, what's to be done to the man whom the king would love to honor? Haman gets there and the king says, Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king wants to honor? And Haman thinks, hey, I'm such a lacquer ochre. Yes, hey. This is, the king's talking about me. Let's see what I can say. Okay, okay, king, how about a nice horse? King, okay. And, and Haman's got a picture of himself riding this beautiful, you know, the, those black horses, what do you call them? Frisians, riding this massive hair flowing, the tail whisking. And then put a robe on him, king. Put a robe on him with the signet and then, and then, and then give him the authority and he can go all over the country with prestige and fame and honor and on and on and on and on. And the king says, good idea, Haman. Would you be so kind as to inform Mordecai? <laughs> Hallelujah! Haman is like furious. He's troubled. He runs back to his wife, but his wife can't help him. His friends can't help him. Nobody can help you but Jesus. Because at the end of the day, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That night, the banquet begins and all, I can see Haman's like a bit nervous. <laughs> I don't know what's gonna happen here today. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It's like, it's like in government right now. It's like in the municipality, everything's fluid. I spoke to one guy, he said, Pastor, everything's fluid here. What does that mean? One day you're there, the next day you're not there. One day you're living, the next day you're not living. One day you're alive, the next day you've been poisoned. I don't know, everything's fluid. And Haman's thinking, um, this is fluid. <laughs> this is fluid. I don't know what's, what's coming around the corner. And the second day of the banquet, Queen Esther says, King, I want to just tell you about this man. I want to tell you about Haman. I want to tell you about his wicked intentions and his plots. And just then at the bottom, they see them bringing the gallows because Haman thought he was about to hang Mordecai. And the king was furious. He gets up and he's like, how? I put this guy second in charge. I believed in him. I thought he was the right person. I believed in him. He says, the gallows that Haman built for Mordecai, Mordecai is going to hang on those gallows. And I'm going to put Mordecai in place of Haman and he's going to rule and reign in my empire. Come on in this place. It's time for God to expose. It's God for, time for God to remove. And it's time for God to replace. Can I get an amen? Can I get a better amen than that? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You see, the, as the church of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, I've said it, we never stop preaching the gospel. Never. It's the good news. If you have nothing good to say, shut up. 
If you can't preach the gospel, get off the platform and go and sell ice cream, man. Go and commit adultery with three more other women. You're doing it. You're thinking it. You're fornicating. Go ahead and do it. Don't get up on the platform and preach a whole lot of garbage. You say, I'm vus today. I am a little bit vus. I'm more vus about the fact that I'm burdened for our land. I'm more vus about the fact that right under our noses we have Hamans that are plotting your and my demise. Our children's future are at stake here, people. It's not about taking as much as I can and to hell with everybody else. No, sir, not under our watch. It's got nothing to do with colour. It's got nothing to do with race. Do not bring that race card to me. Come up with something more creative and ingenious. It's got to do with the Hamans. It's got to do with the church rising up. It's got to do with on our watch, on our watch, on our watch. We are going to pray and fast so that God can expose and remove and replace. You say, but pastor, shouldn't we be praying for those in leadership? We prayed long enough. Now it's time to expose. Now it's time to remove. And now it's time to replace. Hallelujah. So we should always preach the gospel. Get people saved. Disciple them. But there's this last dimension that I think as the church we have failed. We're supposed to be healing to our land. I don't mean having prayer lines and praying for the sick. We do that anyways. Healing for our land. We're supposed to be healing for our land. It's interesting when you get to the book of Revelation right at the end. And it's amazing the last two books of Revelation almost resemble the first three books of Genesis. Revelation 22 verse 1. And He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal. That's a picture of the church. Picture of you and I living in a broken, fallen world. Don't tell me, oh, this is when we're in the clouds and this is the new Jerusalem. This is a picture of the church, you and I, a pure river clear as crystal proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its streets and on either side of the river was the tree of life. In the book of Genesis, there was the tree of life. Hallelujah. In the book of Genesis, we saw one river becoming four rivers. Here in Revelation, there's a river. There's the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And even though we're in the river, we're also trees. When the Bible speaks of trees, it's talking about you and I. You and I. You and I. Hallelujah. Each tree, each one of us yielding its fruit. Not once in a blue moon. Not, oh, you got your promotion, praise God. So now let's give glory to God. Let's say hallelujah. You know. No, every moment that you have, every time that you have, We live for God, hallelujah, yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Hallelujah. 
Can you see? There's a tree of life, tree of life. There's a river, there's a river. In Genesis, there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You won't find that in Revelation. Why? Because we're not supposed to know sin. We are supposed to be born again. We, we, we're supposed to be, what does 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, if any man or woman be in Christ, he's a brand new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We, we are not supposed to be familiar with sin. Oh, but pastor, that's for heaven. Why? Why, why, why? is there not enough power? Is there not enough Holy Ghost power? Is there not enough that Jesus, is, is there something more that Jesus needs to do on the cross to get us to live without knowing sin? Is there something more Jesus has to do so that we can know His presence, we can know His purity, we can know His love, we can know His kindness, we can know His goodness so that we can be healing for the nations. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's how we become healing to the nations. We are the trees that are planted on the other side of the river. Ezekiel saw the same thing. Ezekiel. In Ezekiel 47, verse 1, he brought me back to the door of the temple and there was water flowing. Lift up your hands and say, flow. flow. Bump your neighbor and say, neighbor, get into the flow. Come on, don't be slow. Get into the flow so that you can know Hallelujah. And verse 7, And when I returned there along the bank of the river were very many trees. Ezekiel saw you and me. Hallelujah. Oh, there's John. There's Subash. There's Yvonne. There's Sister Cookie. Ezekiel looked at the river and saw all these very many trees. And he said to me, The water flows toward the eastern region, goes down, enters the sea. And when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. And it shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will flow, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish because these waters go there and they will be healed. And everything will live wherever the river goes. Verse 12, along the bank of the river on this side and that will grow all kinds of trees used for food. Their leaves will not weather. People of God, our leaves are not supposed to wither. And their fruit will not fail. They will bear fruit every month because their water flows from the sanctuary. Their fruit will be for food and their leaves for medicine. The NIV, NIV says their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Hallelujah. Can you say praise the Lord? Come on, let's stand up in this place. How many of you ready to be healing for our nation? Come on. How many of you ready to stand our watch, stand our God? How many of you are saying enough is enough? Enough is enough. No, no. We will not permit the Hamans of our day and age to wreak havoc and dismantle and cripple. No, 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 no. We're going to be healing for the nation, which means we have to eradicate poverty. We have to be healing for the nations, which means we have to come up with a solution for energy and power. There's, a, there's some scientists sitting here. People, 
that have creative ideas. Hallelujah. It's time to use that. Come up with a new form of energy, man. There are farmers in this place that know how to farm. There are people in law and order that know how to bring law and order into a community where there is no murder. There is no violence. And when the world looks at it and says, whoa, we, we went into this neighborhood. There's no crime. You can leave your doors open. You can leave your cars unlocked. How many of you remember the days when we were able to do just that. Our children would be able to play in the streets. Hallelujah. See, that's what the Ecclesia is. You've heard me. In the Hebrew and in the Greek, there's a philosophy attached behind the word Ecclesia. It's not just a bunch of people called out, happy clappy on Sunday, and then we all go back home. And we're all polite and wonderful. Yes, thank you so much. God bless you. And we come back on Sunday and we happy clappy. Praise the Lord. Great to see you. Hallelujah. And we go back into our homes or in our neighborhoods and in our work environments. We sit there. You know, we sit quietly. While the Hamans are walking up and down, plotting and scheming. The Ecclesia was a called out chosen one to execute the government. They're actually involved in government. We're actually involved in government. Not the government of this world, which is under the Babylonian system. The government of heaven, which by the way, infiltrates like leaving every sphere of society. Our government that we execute should go into the education department. It should go into the civil law, the morality. It should go into murder, rape. It should go into the marketplace. It should go into the banking place. Hallelujah. Lift your hands right now. Come on, we, we're gonna pray. Just, I know our time is up, we're, we're done. But let's begin to pray, everybody. Pray in your language. Pray in Zulu, pray in English that God would expose the Hamans of our time. Why? Because we are drawing a line in the sand. We are saying enough is enough. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, hallelujah, and repent of their wicked ways and turn from their sin, then I will hear from heaven and I will answer and I will heal the land. Come on, everybody. Let's begin to pray right now, God, that you would expose every single person that is not meant to be in our government, in our municipality, in our police department, in our army departments. Remove every Haman that you've got in the medical sphere, my God. Remove every Haman that's in the marketplace, in the banking sector, in the economic environment, in the, in the factory environment. Lord, we are saying today, as the people of God, that enough is enough. We're not gonna allow the Haman to bring crippling into our country and to bring it to nothing, not on our watch, not on our watch. 
not on our watch. We take authority right now in the name of Jesus. Just like you were able to preserve the people in the book of Esther and it's not like they were serving you. They were backslidden. And in that backslidden state, you still cared for them and you removed the Haman. And I thank you today that in this place, God, that we are fervent for you and desire your presence and desire your glory. And I want to thank you as we join our hearts together, Lord, for our country, South Africa. Oh, our country, South Africa, that what you began through our forefathers, what you began through Dr. Fred Roberts, what you began through Reverend Nicholas Bengu and uh, Reverend Richard Ngedi and all the other great men and women of God that you used to bring about the gospel, to bring about a revival, to bring about a move and a flow of your spirit. God, that the kingdom of God would be established on this earth. We are saying today, my God, my God, my God, heal our land. Let there be a unity that comes upon the churches. Let there be a unity as one church recognizes another church and values and esteems the other church, my God. Let there be one voice. Let there be a unity, a unity, a unity, a unity in Jesus' mighty name. Now let's do that prayer. Let's do that prayer. Declare this prayer. If we can get that prayer up on the screen and we're going to pray and then we're going to go, all right? Can you see that on the screen? You ready, everybody? Are you ready this morning? Some of you still reeling from my, whoo, I didn't have my seatbelt on, Pastor. It's okay, you'll, you'll live, you'll be okay. But here we go, everybody lift your voice. One, two, three. Father, we declare today that according to Isaiah 9 and 4, you have broken the yoke of the oppressor, that's Haman, and the power of ungodly authority. We come against every wicked scheme and evil plot of the enemy and against every tongue that would stir up strife, disorder and violence in our city. We bind every spirit of unrighteousness and ungodliness and dismantle demonic thrones whereupon ungodly rulers, wicked and corrupt governance and diabolical authoritative structures have been prevalent in our city and in South Africa. We say no more in Jesus' Name. One more time. We say no more in Jesus' Name. According to Isaiah 60, Habakkuk 2 and 14 and Ephesians 5 and 27, you said that your glory would cover this earth as the waters cover the sea and that you are coming back for a glorious church without spot, wrinkle or blemish. We thank you for the ecclesia, the called out and assembled ones upon whom you are pouring out your glory. We are called out and assembled to execute the divine orders of heaven on this earth and to release the government of God into every sphere of society. We are a community of believers from all cultures, tribes and tongues, born again, blood washed and filled with the Holy Ghost, 
who carry the vision of your kingdom and who rule with the authority and spirit of Christ. We release the angels of God over our city Durban to guard, protect and to preserve life. We release the peace of God over our city and declare prosperity, blessing, protection, opportunity and the favour of God upon our people and our churches in Jesus name and everybody said everybody said if you believe that give the Lord a praise offering this morning hallelujah we trust you enjoyed this message to stay connected to Durban Christian Centre like us on Facebook follow us on Instagram and download our DCC Church app Hop onto our website for any information you might need about the Durban Christian Centre. If you are in Durban, South Africa, we would absolutely love for you to join us at our Sunday morning services at 8am and 10.30am. You can find us at 39 Garth Road, Mabel. God bless you. We look forward to seeing you. Bye-bye.